Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. On this week's episode of the podcast, another nasty supply chain attack, this time targeting the 3CX voice over internet protocol Windows desktop client and macOS client has the potential to do some real damage. A new public preview to manage Windows laps with Intune policies has arrived. And Google have introduced a hard limit on the number of files allowed on a Google Drive account, and not only for free account holders, but also for business account holders too. So to hear about that and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course is brought to you by my awesome sponsors, including Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. On March 29th, there were reports of a supply chain attack targeting the 3CX Voice over Internet Protocol Windows Desktop Client and macOS 2. 3CX is a VOIP IPBX software development company whose 3CX phone system is used by more than 600,000 companies worldwide and has over 12 million daily users. And that includes large companies, I believe, like Coca-Cola and Ikea. While the report was made by CrowdStrike on the 29th, there were techies reporting that their endpoint protection products were flagging suspicious activity related to a 3CX desktop app binary. And initially, I believe 3CX were kind of denying that there was anything wrong or a reason why this would be flagged by these endpoint protection platforms. The binary in question was sideloading an ffmpeg.dll DLL file, which would extract and decrypt an encrypted payload from a d3d compiler underscore 47.dll file. This decrypted shellcode from the compiler, the dash 47.dll file that I just mentioned, would be executed to download icon files hosted on GitHub that contain base64 encoded strings appended to the end of the images. Sentinel1 said that the malware using these base64 strings to download a final payload to the compromised devices where previously unknown information stealing malware downloaded as a DLL, and this new malware is capable of harvesting system information and stealing data and store credentials from Chrome, Edge, Brave, and Firefox user profiles. The attacks are being attributed to a subgroup of the Lazarus group, and this supply chain attack is being called Smooth Operator. Researchers report that the attack group have had a sprawling infrastructure in place since February of last year, but the first icons uploaded to their GitHub repository were in December. 3CX have confirmed that their product has been compromised and will be providing more information when they have a fuller analysis completed.
BleepyComputer.com also reported that a 10-year-old Windows vulnerability is still being exploited in attacks, including this one that I just mentioned, to make it appear that executables are legitimately signed, with the fix from Microsoft actually set as an opt-in after all these years. Even worse, the fix is reportedly removed after upgrading to Windows 11. Microsoft first disclosed this vulnerability on December 10th, 2013, and explained that adding content to an EXE's Authenticode signature section in a signed executable is possible without invalidating the signature. An example of this would be the Google Chrome installer adds data to the Authenticode structure to determine if you opt in to sending usage statistics and crash reports to Google. So when Chrome is installed, it will check the Authenticode signature for this data to determine if diagnostic reporting should be enabled. The fix for this has been available for some time, but it is an optional registry setting, and the registry value is for Enable Cert Padding Check. BleepyComputer.com suggests that this may have been made optional due to fears that a change could invalidate legitimate signatures. And if you'd like to learn more about both the vulnerability and this vulnerability that has existed for 10 years, but there's a fix out there for it, and maybe learn a bit about that fix, I'll share links to what I've referenced for this episode over at 5bytespodcast.com for episode 276. Cybersecurity researchers have discovered a fundamental security flaw in the design of the IEEE 802.11 Wi-Fi protocol standard that allows attackers to trick access points into leaking network frames in plain text form. The standard includes power save mechanisms that allow Wi-Fi devices to conserve power by buffering or queuing frames destined for sleeping devices. When a client's station enters sleep mode, it sends a frame to the access point with a header that contains the power saving bit, so all frames destined for it are queued. The standard, however, does not provide explicit guidance on managing the security of these queued frames and does not set limitations like how long the frames can stay in this state. BleepyComputer.com reports that once the client station wakes up, the access point dequeues the buffered frames, applies encryption, and transmits them to the destination. An attacker can spoof the MAC address of a device on the network and send power-saving frames to access points, forcing them to start queuing frames destined for the target. Then the attacker transmits a wake-up frame to retrieve the frame stack. The transmitted frames are usually encrypted using the group-addressed encryption key shared among all the devices in the Wi-Fi network, or a pairwise encryption key which is unique to each device and used to encrypt frames exchanged between two devices. However, the attacker can change the security context of the frames by sending authentication and association frames to the access point, thus forcing it to transmit the frames in plain text form or encrypt them with an attacker-provided key. The researchers report that network device models from Lancom, Aruba, Cisco, Asus, and D-Link are known to be affected by these attacks, and the researchers warn that these attacks could be used to inject malicious content, such as JavaScript, into TCP packets. And the different vendors of the network devices are recommending different mitigation steps based on their devices and their standards. So check those out if you're concerned about this vulnerability, which everyone should be. 
in the Microsoft Intune landing page, it was highlighted that the ability to manage Windows laps with Intune policies is now in public preview. And as a public preview, you'll be able to configure devices for Windows local administrator password solution. And as a public preview, configuration of Windows laps will be supported through Intune's account protection policy. In addition, you'll be able to use device actions for devices with Windows Laps policy to rotate local admin passwords and retrieve local admin passwords. So if you're a Laps customer and you've been waiting for this to come to Intune, this is now your chance to check it out in public preview. Windows 11 Insider Preview Build 23424 is now available for insiders in the dev channel, and it brings with it some interesting features for different sections of Windows 11. And for example, there's a new content adaptive brightness control even when the device is charging. So this build should now allow users to control the brightness of their devices even when they are plugged into chargers. And this could be accessed by choosing the always option in settings system display under the brightness and color. There's also going to be improved high polling mouse performance and Microsoft have improved the input performance of high polling mouses while gaming. And there's also more like three column widgets board where Microsoft brings a bigger board in this release allowing simultaneous appearances of different widgets and other relevant information feeds for users. And there's improvements to the store and more. So for a full list, I'll share a link with this episode which again is episode 276. MSPowerUser.com has reported that Microsoft have started testing the ability to group similar tabs in Edge, supposedly aimed at keeping your tabs more organized. As the name suggests, group similar tabs, analyze the open tabs and group them based on how similar they are. Similarities can be based on domain names, web page titles, and many more different categories. However, Edge currently analyzes based on how similar is the title of the web page. And web pages with similar titles can be clubbed into one group to keep things organized. Microsoft is currently testing this feature with the Edge Canary users. So if you want to see that in action, you got to be in the Canary group for now. Ars Technica reported recently that Google have introduced a hard limit on the number of files allowed on a Google Drive account. Users over the limit found themselves suddenly locked out of new file uploads, and it was up to them to figure out how and what was going wrong. The report suggests both consumer and business account types are subject to a 5 million file limit, which for all intents and purposes has been hidden as well. It's not something that has been very upfront to customers. Hey, beware, there's a 5 million file limit. This 5 million total file cap hasn't been documented anywhere and it's not listed on the Google One or Google Workspace plan pages. And Google also doesn't have any tools to see if you're getting close to this file limit. There's no count of files anywhere. A Google spokesperson confirmed to Ars Technica that the file limit is not a bug, calling the 5 million file cap a safeguard to prevent misuse of their system in a way that might impact the stability and safety of the system. They clarified that the limit applies to how many items one user can create in any drive, not a total cap for all files in a drive. So for individual users, that's not a distinction that matters though, but it could matter if you share storage with several accounts. 
So not fun to find out that you've hit that file cap. And uh, I think there was one account where someone found out that they'd hit the file cap and they needed to delete 2 million files to fall back under it in order to upload new stuff. Pretty crazy. According to a report from the information that was also reported by windowscentral.com, a prominent AI researcher at Google has resigned from the firm after warning that Google's own BARD system has been leveraging information from OpenAI's ChatGPT without authorization. Jacob Devlin has since joined OpenAI itself to work on ChatGPT after discovering that Google was heavily relying on information from SharedGPT, a website that parses conversations with the OpenAI chat model. As we all know, and as has been reported on this podcast, Microsoft have an exclusive license to use ChatGPT for commercial purposes, and as such, Devlin was concerned that Google was violating OpenAI's terms of service by using the data in this way. It could potentially open Google up to lawsuits if this does get confirmed. Now, I was skeptical of the story at first, but it has been reported by Business Insider and other outlets too, not just the two that I've referenced. When asked about the issue, Google quickly denied Devlin's claims and said the BARD is not trained on any data from ShareGPT or ChatGPT. Again, the AI wars are heating up. And speaking of the AI wars and heating up, well, in one region, the AI wars are, I guess, a very quick acceleration of AI has cooled off a little bit. And that is in Italy because an Italian regulator, the guarantor of the protection of personal data in Italy, or GPDP, announced a temporary ban on ChatGPT in the country. The ban is effective immediately and will remain in place while the regulator investigates its concerns that OpenAI is unlawfully collecting Italian internet users' personal data to train the conversational AI software and has no age verification system in place to prevent children from accessing the tool. This comes after a data breach that I reported about on last week's episode of the podcast. And the regulator is also said to be concerned that ChatGPT's answers to text prompts can manipulate data and potentially mislead users by inaccurately processing data and ultimately sharing misinformation. Because OpenAI is not currently based in the European Union, the company has up to 60 days to appeal the ban, according to the GPDP document that was shared. So not overly surprising that this is the case and I'm surprised another country hasn't done this already. Um, there was a really fascinating conversation on this topic that was led by James Davis and Rick Dillinger that was quite frankly mind-blowing and <laughs> a little scary and worrying. So it is kind of a surprise that it's been allowed to be to just take off and be completely unfettered. But also the point was made, I believe, at the conference uh, by Perrine. You know, if one company stops, that just gives another company a chance to catch up while that other company is forced to stop for six months or however long this ends up being. So, yeah, very interesting stuff. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. So two tips this week to keep it kind of short because... Uh, I am traveling this week, so it's been a little harder than usual to get an episode out. And I know I had to promise that I was going to be back to a normal cadence this week. But just because of 
travel for the conference. I just figured it was safer and easier to do this as soon as I had an opportunity to, because I might not again with travel later in the week. But regardless of that, the scripts, tricks, and tips for this week. Jim Moyle had a tip at the EUC Masters Retreat that I was not aware of, but in PowerShell, um, to get all of the possible parameters for like a command, let's say like get-service, uh, you could do the get-service, then do a space, do a dash, and then hit control and space, and it will show you all of the parameters that are available. So no need to just you know tab through to see what all the applicable parameters are. And last tip would be, if you've never gone to the UC Masters Retreat, you're really missing out. You should be at this event. Uh, it was probably the best year yet. Um, I'm not sure if it was the highest attendance, but just from someone who's been to every single one of them so far, it seemed like it was the highest attendance. So it's a conference that just keeps getting bigger and better, and they really topped themselves this year with coordination and uh, making it an extra fun and interesting event. So... Uh, definitely check it out if you've never been to one before. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Apologies again for it being a shorter episode and getting out earlier than I thought, uh, but I just wanted to ensure that an episode got out this week. So I'm hoping for next week <laughs> uh, the podcast is back to its usual cadence of end of the work week. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>